again. The only reason to hear them again is if the performer is bringing their entire lives of pain and joy and suffering and beauty and happiness and love right. and loss to these performances. Hey everyone, I'm violinist Stefan Jaikiv. Excellent, and you are in San Diego. Correct. Beautiful San Diego, California. Beautiful San Diego. And I've heard that finest city is annoying to other cities, so we won't go there. We won't use that. Okay. <laughs> and um, you're here with the San Diego Symphony. That's right. For? For Beethoven's Violin Concerto. Okay. Uh, two performances tomorrow, Friday, and uh, on Sunday afternoon. Excellent. With? With Rafael Payade, the right. new music director of the San Diego yeah. Symphony. Actually, my first time working with him. I've met him a couple times before. Um, but this is our first time working together, and it's been such a pleasure. We actually just finished our first rehearsal, um, and such a natural, lively, dynamic musician yeah. um, really brings this piece to life in the most organic way. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So this is... How many times... You, you're good. How many times do you think you'll... Are you scheduled to play this this year? Well, this year well, I'm doing a lot of Beethoven, yeah. because it's the 250th right. anniversary. Um Let's see, we're, we are now in February, mm -hmm. and in the past month and a half, I've already done this piece um, with two orchestras. I did it in Jacksonville, Florida, and I did it in Dublin, Ireland. So in just six weeks now, this Those will be Those are different third. cities. <laughs> they are different <laughs> cities. And now in San Diego. Right. Um, so um, quite a bit. I'm actually making my LA Philharmonic debut in the summer with this piece as well. Excellent. Um, at the Hollywood Bowl? At the Hollywood Bowl. Okay. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, and I'm trying to think if I'm doing it. Oh, I'm also doing, actually, I'm doing this piece in two weeks in Long Beach, California. Nice. So, hitting a lot of California. Yeah, I've heard good things about Long Beach. By so have the I. Orchestra yeah, I'm actually yeah. friends with the music director. I play with him at some of his other orchestras. Uh -huh. Troy, he's a really good guy. We actually did the Beethoven together um, just a few months ago with his orchestra in... Portland, Maine. Okay. And actually, the first time I ever did the Beethoven Violin Concerto was in 2007, I want to say. Uh, I just learned it. Um, and we did it, Eckhart and I did it with his orchestra in Stamford, Connecticut. At the time, he was the music okay. at Stamford Symphony. So I've done this quite a bit with Eckhart. So it's nice to right. do it now in sunny California with him. But it's, so it's, it's a settled piece for you in a lot of ways? Or are you still I mean, kind of pushing? I, I don't know that any piece feels settled mm, for me. Okay. Um, there are certainly pieces that I feel more familiar with than other pieces, um, but I, I don't think there's really a piece in the repertoire where I feel like, ah, I got this, like, I know this. I'm constantly finding new interesting things, new ways of thinking of a piece, new difficulties crop up. Okay. Um, it's just sort of endless challenges, but also endless possibilities and endless fascination. Right. Um, so, I mean, actually... I find that it's kind of, it's deadly for me when I revisit a piece to think to myself, I felt I really got it last time, let me try to reproduce that. Right. Because I can't reproduce it, and also that, that you know, s stops any sort of yeah. progress or reimagination yeah. or rediscovery or new discovery. Um, so, you know, I do my best at any given moment, mm -hmm. and then it's done. And the next time I come back to the piece, right. fresh start. Yeah. So... When we, I actually, this isn't the first time we've met. You were here for mainly Mozart, right? Almost exactly a year ago, right? Um, with pianist Henry Kramer, right? Clarinetist Yuna Kim, Kim, who you were. 
who I am engaged to and marrying okay. in six weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, I only bring it up because I asked you guys to say one word that ex- described your current relationship with music. Okay. And I think Henry said beauty and then expounded on that. And Yuna, I believe, said um, identity. Okay. And you said something along the lines of community. Hmm. And it was, this was at the artist talk back. Yeah. And you, look, the way you explained it, you had the audience just like in the palm of your hand. It hmm. was so wonderful. And I don't want to try to recreate that. As you just said, right. can't, we can't, can't try. recreate the moment. But right. um, it was such, it was such a, it's an idea that, you know, that I've explored myself, that the community is not just a community of performers and current people, but right. it's a community of Bach and Beethoven right. and Tchaikovsky. And, right. Um, have you, has your community grown? In the last year? I mean, you know, sometimes I feel that the community that I experience is, is you know, kind of like a one-night stand community. Okay. Like, you know, when you're in a room, in a, in a big room, like a concert hall with people, and you experience music together, mm-hmm. there is some sort of connection. And you may never actually meet those people and learn their names, but you were there together. Right. And you were experiencing this, and you were drawn in together in this experience, and you were hopefully emotionally vulnerable in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that you're often, at least I'm often not when I'm just meeting someone at a cocktail party. Um, so even though we don't actually like, speak when we're, you know, speak words when we're listening to music together or when I'm playing music and people are listening, there is this sort of intimacy there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, that builds a sense of community that lasts your whole life. I mean, people that I have played chamber music with, that I've worked with, are musicians, they become lifelong friends. Um, and sometimes it's people where you share a special moment and then, you know, you go on your separate ways, but... Yeah. Hopefully, both of us are changed by that experience mm-hmm. for the better. Yeah. Um, and since it is Beethoven's year, I'm going to throw something out there and have you either rip on it, disagree with it, or semi agree. Okay. Okay. So, Beethoven is like gravity, mm-hmm. warping the time and space through which subsequent composers rise and fall, hmm. kind of in their season. Yeah, I do think there is a sort of centering force of Beethoven. Obviously, when you think of other composers that came after Beethoven, you know, it's almost a cliche that so many of them grappled with their their own relationship to Beethoven, how their music sort of, how their music f- followed Beethoven. Um, they fought a war over it, right? The war of the romantics. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I also think, though, that the danger of thinking of Beethoven as something as inexorable and irrefutable and undeniable as gravity mm-hmm. can dehumanize him. Right. Um, because actually Beethoven was someone who, you know, people talk about how there's a saying that like Mozart like took dictation from God. Like when right. you like look at his scores, Mozart's scores are so perfect. It's just seemingly like just the music is pouring out of him effortlessly. And that's not the case with Beethoven. Beethoven really toiled and really struggled and really kind of every every moment of beauty seems to be a hard, hard one moment, mm-hmm. hard one achievement for him. So I think there is there isn't this sense of just like and then there was Beethoven and he just was. Right. Like right. he really, really struggled to to craft these pieces of music that we now take as, you know, undeniable. Definitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing about Beethoven that I think also uh, this idea about comparing him to gravity that I think it's possible to f- lose sight of the fact that 
how deeply human his music is mm -hmm. and deeply personal. You know, thinking about this violin concerto that I'm playing this weekend in San Diego, when we think of Beethoven, we often think of him as having three periods in his musical output. Early Beethoven, where you hear a lot of the, sort of the influence of Haydn and Mozart's mm -hmm. sort of like compositional tautness, structural tautness. Middle Beethoven, probably a shining example of this is maybe the Fifth Symphony, where he mm -hmm. really finds his voice and um, there's a sort of like fist-shaking fury that we think of when we think of Beethoven's music. And then late Beethoven, from maybe like the Opus 95 quartet on, um, where he sort of like throws form out the, well not throws form out the window, but completely turns form on its head. And also in terms of the emotional content of his music seems to grapple with ideas beyond himself, kind of man and woman's role in the universe, right. the concept of time, timelessness, mm -hmm. um, our shared humanity, brotherhood. And this violin concerto, while it is very Beethovenian, I don't feel that it has either the emotional tautness of the early works, mm -hmm. nor do I think it's a piece of fist-shaking fury. Right. It's very lyrical. Very lyrical. Yeah. Um, nor do I think it contemplates the cosmos in the way that his late pieces sure. do. So it kind of doesn't fit tidily into any of those three categories. And yet, it is one of his most beloved most frequently mm -hmm. played and most universally loved, most easy to relate to pieces. Yeah. And, and thinking about why that's the case, for me, it's because I think this piece is one of his most human pieces. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean just human as in dealing with human emotions. I mean, actually, when I think about this piece, it seems to chart some sort of progression of human life. Mm. So pieces in three movements, first movement is by far the longest of the three. Right. And the first movement is just like this sprawling exploration. And if I had to choose one word to describe it, it would be searching. It seems like there's this kind of restlessness. Like we're, we're, we're always looking, Beethoven is always looking for something in this movement. Kind of restless figuration in the solo violin part, kind of constant um, eliding of one phrase into the next. The opening of the piece is four strikes of the timpani, which kind of, right from the beginning, I mean, that's like the most clear symbol of a human heartbeat mm, that you can think right. of. So it's almost just from the opening utterance of the concerto, Beethoven is like saying, this is a heartbeat and this piece is about what it's like to be alive. Mm. And that heartbeat is the driving force behind the entire first movement. So there's something human heartbeat in, in, in right. every moment in this movement. And the movement kind of at the end, very end of this long exploration comes first circle, full, full circle. And the solo violin ends the movement by playing the very first melody in its most hushed incantation. Um, and it's almost like, well, it is like we've arrived where we started. We've come full circle, but we are different, even though the music is sort of the same because we've gone through this mm -hmm. journey together. The second movement is the only movement I can think of in the violin concerto repertoire that never leaves its home key. So the oh. second movement is in G major, um, and it never leaves G major. It just sort of like exists in this like beatific stasis of G major, just reveling in this G majorness. 
And to me, it's almost like the first movement, the, the period of searching is done, and now we are just existing in this sort of the opposite of searching. Right. Right? Yeah. We found ourselves. And the final movement is the joyful celebratory dance at the end of this huge journey. Right. Um, so to me, that suggests some sort of like very clear, dramatic human arc. Yeah. Yeah. And for you as the performer, there's not a lot of flash, I would say, in the first two movements compared to. Yeah. The other last movement is very yeah. overtly virtuosic. Right. Um, Whereas the first, you know, I mentioned in the first movement especially, um, and also a bit in the second, it's very symphonic writing. The orchestra mm, has right. the melodic material, and the solo violin part kind of is the moth to the orchestra's flame, just sort of flitting, oh. flitting around it with this sort of filigree. So, right. you know, another thing about Beethoven, we, going back to what we were talking about, thinking about Beethoven as like this undeniable musical force, I think it's dangerous to think of him solely in that way because, well, not dangerous, but it can lead us to lose the sense of improvisation yeah. and fantasy in his mm -hmm. music. And this, the first minute of this piece is filled with an improvisatory, almost playfulness in this little right. part. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, you can't put your finger on its greatness. Yeah. It is just, a, as a whole, yeah. it's, it's just, it's unique to me in the violin concerto. Mm-hmm. I mean, every piece is unique in its own way, but it, in that, it, like you said, it's not that kind of... It's not the heroic Beethoven. Right, that, right. That, there are moments of defiance yeah. and heroism, but I think so much of it is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Beethoven, difficult man, though. Difficult man. Yeah. yeah. His letters only. Not gosh. an easy life. Yeah. Yeah. No one had an easy life. No, no one has an easy life. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, it's gotten Probably. a little easier. It's gotten a little easier. <laughs> but, you know, first world problems. Yeah. And so, what do you have coming up? You mentioned the Beethoven you've got coming right. up. Right. But Right. Well, it's not an easy it's, life. A lot of repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. After this, um, I mentioned I'm doing this um, again in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. um, I also have a, not a full-time trio, but a fixed trio with, um, two of my good friends and favorite musicians, Conrad Tao, the composer oh, yeah. and pianist, and Jay Campbell, the cellist. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got a pretty big tour coming up of the U.S., um, playing a variety of repertoire, um, the Arch more Beethoven, the Archduke Trio, a new piece by Conrad, Shostakovich's second piano trio, and oh, Borjok yeah. F minor trio. These are several programs that we're kind of mm -hmm. going on tour with. Um, and actually... Yuna and I, um, shortly after we get married, are playing a, a new concerto that was written for us. This is not the premiere. We did it once before. Okay. But a new concerto for violin and clarinet solo with string orchestra by the American composer Eric Nathan. Okay. Um, we premiered it in New York last year, and we'll be bringing it to Boston um, in late April, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. And so what's it like being a young artist living in New York City with a bunch uh, of musician friends right. like it sounds like a fantasy <laughs> almost um, I'm sure like no one has an easy life right but. right um, I feel very lucky to have this life um, I feel very fortunate that I get to play music at, you know, for my living um, 
I feel very fortunate that through music I've met amazing, inspiring, fascinating, incredible people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think music and the arts in general tends to draw kind of people with really interesting dreams and interesting ways of thinking about the world and about life, mm-hmm. um, which has expanded my mind way beyond the musical realm as well. Um, yeah, like an artistic person will just say something to you as if it was obvious, and you're like, I've never heard that before, yeah, or I've think, never seen it from that perspective. And, and I think all, yeah. some, some, I mean, certainly not all musicians, but a lot of musicians, part of what makes them thoughtful musicians is their rejection of, I wouldn't say necessarily rejection, but their questioning of the status quo. Mm-hmm. They might in, end up questioning it and then coming to agree with it, or they right. might say, you know, why, why are we doing things this way? Mm-hmm. Either in a Beethoven sonata or in terms of the way our society's put together. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even just like these long car rides that I have with Jay and Conrad, the two other guys in my trio, um, sometimes we talk about music, sometimes we listen to music, but sometimes we just talk about like, you know, politics mm-hmm. or things we've read or relationships or what our different experiences were like growing up. It's always fascinating for me to, they push me to question things that I kind of either never really thought about or just sort of took for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've definitely helped me grow in a personal way too. Right. Yeah. And just, I mean, as an audience member, all of that, you bring all of that to your performance in sure. one way or another. And I bring all of mine right into the moment, the right. Ichigo Ichie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love yeah. that Japanese song. Yeah. Ichigo Ichi, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but just for the listeners, it's this idea of like coming together for like one moment that can't be recreated. Yeah. It's just like a one time. Is that right? Is yes, that, that's yes. right. Yeah. I mean, actually, when, when our trio was thinking of names, ah. we, because, you know, we're not a full-time group, we sort of come together for the uh-huh. three spurts and then go our separate ways. We, co- we, we we considered being the Ichigo trio because right. we loved that concept. Yeah. We ended up being the Junction trio, which is similar idea of like, mm-hmm. you know, three roads coming together, at, right. meeting at a junction, and, you know, splitting off. Um, but that's a very beautiful concept, the Ichigo Ichi um, thing. You know, this reminds me, I, on, on the plane the other day, I watched, there's this new documentary about Pavarotti. Uh-huh. The Ron Howard one? Yeah. Okay. And, of course, I'd heard Pavarotti singing, but I didn't really know that much about him as a person right. or about his life. And it was a very touching film about about this great artist. And one of my favorite moments was, so they sort of chart his life and, you know, obviously started out as operatic singer, then did a lot of recitals, and then mm-hmm. became really big into... Um, Pavarotti and Friends. Yeah, Pavarotti yeah. and Friends, kind of yeah. philanthropic mm-hmm. um, efforts through music his foundation who put on these huge concerts where he would bring people you know big stars both in classical music and outside of classical music and he became very close friends with Bono from right. U2 because mm-hmm. they collaborated a lot in these charity concerts and then towards the end of his career Pavarotti wanted to return to his or his first love opera mm-hmm. um, and there's this footage of him singing final scenes from Tosca at the ah, Met uh-huh. um, and this is sort of kind of I guess late in his career and it's just like devastatingly powerful, and then it the film cuts to I guess concert goers at the Met talking about 
I guess it might be even like intermission at that performance or right after the performance. Mm-hmm. And they are kind of criticizing Pavarotti in this film. Right. And they're saying, ah, oh, well, you know, his voice is not as brilliant and pingy as it used to be. He's not hitting those high notes. And I was just sort of agitated watching this, ah. watching them criticize this guy singing with all his heart. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to Bono immediately from interviewing these audience goers who are criticizing Pavarotti. And I don't know whether Bono saw the footage of these right. of these uh-huh. critics or whether it's just him talking and they spl- you know spliced it right. just like that. But Bono says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, it really gets me when people talk about late Pavarotti in this critical way. Um, he said, you know, this is... What Pavarotti's singing is not new music. These are not new songs. These mm-hmm. are songs that everyone knows. These are arias that everyone knows. The only reason to sing them again, the only reason to hear them again, is if the performer is bringing their entire lives of pain and joy and suffering and beauty and happiness and love right. and loss to these performances. And mm-hmm. it's basically... I can't remember where he outright says it, but it's not about whether, you know, his right. high notes are as pinging or not. It's about just, you know, giving it everything you have. Yeah. And this all, it's kind of comes back, I think, to this Ichigo thing that you were yeah. talking and that you brought up, sort of like, we in the moment, we give it everything we have, everything we've lived up to that point, and we can never recreate it, because the next time we do it, it's, we'll yeah, be it's different. Gone. Yeah. 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 Thank you for listening to Classical Rebellion, and remember to like and subscribe. Yeah.